Welcome to MicroCollege, a podcast exploring innovative, place-based, and humanly scaled responses to the crises in higher education, meaning, and discourse in our time. Everyone knows that colleges and universities are at a breaking point, but what can be done? I'm Jacob Hunt, the director of Thoreau College, a micro-college in Viroqua, Wisconsin. Join us each week as we tackle this question head-on. Welcome to MicroCollege. This week on the podcast, we are really excited to have two of our team members here from Thoreau College here in the studio in Viroqua. Um, we have Dave Puig, who is a local educator, home builder, um, really the creator of our expeditionary learning program here at Thoreau College and at the Youth Initiative High School, our local Waldorf High School that we're affiliated with. We also have with us Justice Grenier who is a graduate of the Youth Initiative High School and uh, also has now embarked on his own career as an expedition leader and home builder. Um, he is the, he's led our winter expedition uh, this past winter and is going to be leading our January expedition with our new students coming up this, this January. Welcome, Dave and Justice. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. Glad to be here. So we're really thrilled to, to be able to, to put a spotlight on our expeditionary learning and solo curriculum. It's really a core part of what we do here at Thoreau College. One of our five pillars is nature um, and, and many of the aspects of the, of the kind of qualities and, and, uh, and aspects of education we're trying to, to, to build into this curriculum are, are con, you know, encapsulated within the expeditionary curriculum. Um, and, and a lot of the ideas from, from, from the world of Outward Bound, from, from the expeditionary learning world, are really have influenced my thinking and thinking of of, of the, the design of this of the project of the college. Um, so we're excited to have some information about that. Um, but here on the podcast, uh, we always ground our conversations in people's biographies and life stories. So I want to ask each of you in turn um, to, to reflect a little bit on where you were when you were 18 or 19 years old, about the time of you know, you're, you're heading out of home on, into the adult world. What were you doing? Where were you? What were the influences that shaped you during that period of life? Dave? That's a great question. Um, well, to take it one step a little further back, for me, uh, in terms of, of my biography with expeditions, I started going on them when I was 12. Uh, I went on my first week-long trip in the Boundary Waters, and uh, it was absolutely transformational for me. Um, and it really was a turning point in my life. Uh, it was the first time I was in a, a space. That trip was with all-male all participants. It was the first all-male space I had been in that I felt safe in. And um, it really made me realize, wow, that, that I can I can be vulnerable around other boys. I can, um, you know, get to know myself. I can be supportive and positive. Um, I didn't have to kind of have a hard shell on, and uh, and it and it felt great. And it was a really powerful experience. So I kind of was hooked at that point. Um, and at, when I was 18 or 19, I was just transitioning from having been going on wilderness trips for six years to leading them. When I was 19, I started leading my first trips um, and, and the Boundary Waters in Quetico. Um, um, and, uh, and those, you know, and I had no idea what I was doing in a, cer <laughs> in a, in a certain sense. I mean, I, I had the technical skills and the experience, but I really didn't understand how to, to help young people grow. Um, and I would say I, I, was, I, I floundered. Uh, in that in that first year of, of trip leading uh, pretty solidly um, but by the t by my second year it was when I then realized oh this is a space where not only you know I think a lot of times when people think about wilderness trips they think about you know oh you're going to see really beautiful things you're going to have these really powerful experiences with the natural world and and that's all true um, what actually really got me excited about them as a leader was the cultural spaces that you can create in mm -hmm. them and the the way that they're sort of they're they're a, they're a step away from our normal lives they're this unique setting where this, this group of people can operate with each other in a way that's unique and different from the normal ways they do and and people can become more vulnerable with each other it can um you know challenge themselves can be um humbled you know can experience a whole new ways of being together and being people um and um so that was that was very alive for me um and i'm trying to think what else at that time in my life um 
you know, I was a, I was a freshman in college, freshman, sophomore in college. Um, I know something that you, you've talked about frequently is your engagement with the, the Southwest Field School. Mm, yes. And that, that's, that's shaped some of what you've built into the curriculums you've designed here. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Uh, Southwest Field Studies was this incredible program that Earlham College had, a semester program. Uh, they don't run any longer. Although there's a few schools that run similar programs. I just talked to the guy who, uh, who, who had experienced one through Sterling College. It sounded yeah. very, very related or similar in, in Southwest. Yep. And there's one at Whitman College, I believe. Um, and yeah, I mean, without going into too much detail about it, it was just the basic structure of it was small group of people living out of vans, traveling the Southwest, uh, this sort of mixture of wilderness trips with like sense, like studying sense of place. So who lives here? How do they live here? What are the dynamics? What are the cultural dynamics at play? What is, what's the ecology of this place, the geology, mm-hmm. And how are all those things wound together? You know, how does the geology and the ecology influence the culture, you know, the old cultures, the indigenous cultures, the new cultures, the economics, you know, just the whole mix. Um, And it was really just a learning by being, a learning by asking questions. Um, It was the first time I I consciously realized that I enjoyed learning. Uh, Up until that point, I was sort of a check the boxes, Mm -hmm. get a good grade, check the boxes, um, and and I, at that point, I was like, oh, learning is fucking fun. <laughs> uh, learning is fun, you know, and uh, and it's what we do all the time. That's what life is, you know, is is learning. So, yeah, it's, th- that program has been the template by which I have sort of measured everything that I've created since then. I, 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 I check back in with that. Um, it was really fun. My sister was one of the leaders. Um, so it was a, it was a really yeah, it was a really special special time I mean, it's been an important theme for in these interviews we've been doing on, on the podcast you know people who engage get involved with becoming educators starting programs you know really thinking about education many of them have a story like that in some moment where they they change their mind of an education after having either struggled with it or just having negative attitude towards it um, so do you think you know is it is involved you know important pieces taking it out of the box of the classroom and out of that the kind of institutional context did that did the, you know we was that an important part of, of changing your perspective and learning? It, I, I think it probably was. Yeah, I mean, it, until that point, it had been, though I obviously had learned a ton not in school and, and could have pointed to that, my understanding of what learning was about was very much sort of in this classroom space. And um, it was such a non-academic program. You know, we had very few what I would consider academic. You know, we had a few readings, we had a journal that we would that we would write in or make drawings in things like that. Uh, we would have some discussions, but a lot of what we would do is we'd show up somewhere, and you know, and I'm I'm sure there's just an incredible amount of work that are that, that the people who led this trip sort of did behind the scenes or to set it up. But they would, you know, and we'd start and we'd start talking to people. We'd have conversations. We'd we'd you know someone we'd go for a walk with someone and they they'd tell us stories and we'd and we'd. It was it was it was just sort of it was like a lived experience rather than like an academic experience and um, yeah I just was like I was alive after that I was on fire about it it was it was really wonderful I actually tried to go back and help lead it me and my sister mm-hmm. got hired to lead it uh, and then we were both having babies <laughs> <laughs> ah yes life and, yeah so. <laughs> Right. Well, Justice, um, you've, you've kind of grown up in this milieu. You've went through some of the curriculum that Dave helped to create here. And, uh, you know, I just before you tell your story, you know, um, I just want to share a picture of you from the first time you had you work with a group of Thoreau College students. You led us on a day long trip on the Kickapoo River, just a day long you know, paddling trip. And uh, you know, you're wearing a straw cap and you're barefooted. And it's like this guy is the living embodiment of Huckleberry Finn. Right. <laughs> <laughs> down, you can see him just right down the river. So, um, yeah, how, how, how do you get to be, yeah, what's, think about this, this, you know, this relatively recent period in your life. What, what's, what's, what stands out as important of this transition? Well, just to comment on uh, Huckleberry Finn there, I don't know, another educator in the area, Steve Lawless, he actually perfectly casted me uh, in that role in my eighth grade play. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. I didn't even know that. <laughs> Which was, uh, some say, my breakout role. And I, I got my first solo there, and so I was singing, and that was pretty fun. I sing a lot now. Um, yeah, I, 
I never really like know when or where to start these stories, but I think thinking about when I was like 18, 19 years old in that age, um, and ultimately I think what has led me to this path of outdoor education and experiential education. Dave, you said hard shell at one point over there, and it like made me think of turtles again. They're often coming through my mind. But <laughs> I've like come to find this little metaphor with the turtle about uh, like comfort zones. And we teach this lesson at Outward Bound as we ask students to step out of everything they know into everything they don't know. And uh, we teach like about the comfort zone and the panic zone and then what that sweet spot in the middle of the growth zone where you're really learning the most. And I always connected that to a turtle where you're like, you can just live your whole life in your little shell and it can be like, you might be happy, you might be fine, but you're not really learning that much. And like, you have to stick your ne neck out, paddle around, um, explore the pond a bit more. And so that was where I was at when I was uh, 18 or so. And I went off to New Zealand there. Um, yeah, and that's where I think I first started to feel that feeling of what it can be like to step completely out of everything you know and into everything you don't know. And just accepting that world that is completely new um, is where I found like to love learning like you were talking about, Dave. And um, yeah, am I not still too far? There we go. <laughs> yeah, I think that my first, I guess, expedition experience and was I was constantly just learning that. Um, went out, just packed my bag full of canned beans and stuff, so I probably had... <laughs> how old were you? I was 18 years old. I just, like, didn't know how to plan a trip or anything like that and just <laughs> packed my bag full of stuff. I was like, okay, we're going to walk along this beach trail here and... Um, up and down with super heavy pack. I was like one of the first learners. Like, okay, we do dried food from now on. <laughs> um, water is heavy. Yeah, water is very, very heavy. And yeah, I get, is the question? Can you repeat the question? Well, so thinking about that period of time, I think mm -hmm. you started. You, you clearly, you did one of the classic things, which is head out on the road, right? Yeah. Head, light yeah. out for the territories, right? Mm -hmm. And and uh, you know that that's perhaps one of the most ancient forms of education for young mm. adults that maybe the original one right go out and, and encounter the world somewhere and so yeah. for you that was New Zealand and eventually also a few other places too like what was what was on your itinerary um well the itinerary was kind of just like work travel work travel work travel uh, I do feel really want to like shout out well both both my teachers here that I'm sitting with Dave and you Jacob um I think I got a lot of support for that because that's not exactly I guess it's kind of a traditional route in some way, but it's also, there's this huge push towards further education, and that was not right for me at that time in my life. And so I appreciate that support from my family and teachers who were like, yeah, you should just go out and go for it. And I probably might have never gone, um, but I bought a ticket like right after, like a few days after I graduated. I was like, it's just six months from now, and I worked locally at the Driftless Cafe, which... I really loved and probably would have never left if I didn't have that ticket. So it was like, <laughs> I was kind of forced in a way. I was like, my little turtle pond was draining rapidly for six months. And then I was like, okay, I got to go find more water. <laughs> and just hopped on that plane. Um, yeah. And yeah. then I did New Zealand for a while and uh, fell in love there with not just like a person, but also <laughs> like the person that I was able to become with that small town feeling they both it's, it's amazing to be raised in a small town because you can just everyone like sees all of your growths and everything as, as you and like can witness you both as who you were and who you have become and it's it's like helps hold you up in a way and it also then you're also stuck with everything that you maybe mm -hmm. not so proud of in that same moment and right you have to go away for a while before you can come yeah. back to a small town <laughs> absolutely yeah. so that was the most powerful experience for me. It was like, oh, I can just be whoever I want here, and I can just change these yeah. things. And, and no one's like, wait, wait, no, you're this. Yeah. I that, remember you being Huckleberry Finn. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and then so I went, explored down in South America a bit, in Colombia and Peru and Ecuador, and then came back, lived in California for a while, and went to Nicaragua and Costa Rica, and then did, did a little bit of a European tour, tour one summer. And, uh, yeah, 
We're having some mic issues here. It's yep. moving away. From <laughs> You're hearing strange sounds. Um, cool. So both of you mentioned Outward Bound. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess um, I wondered, you know, Dave, I've also learned, one of the things I've learned from you is a little bit about the history and philosophy of Outward Bound. It's a term that, it's a, it's a, it's a concept or organization that many people may have heard of and not really know what it's about. Think about it just as a camping trip sort of organization. But it's a really deep kind of human understanding behind some of that. So I wonder if you could share, you know, a little bit about your experience with Outward Bound and, uh, and what you, what's, what's the kind of underlying philosophy of, of Outward Bound? Absolutely. Um, let's, so, you know, so Outward Bound actually grew, um, came into existence right around World War II um, from a German educator, uh, th- this fellow named Kurt Hahn, and, um, and he, had, he had started a number of schools and educational um, institutions already, um, had actually had to flee Germany at a certain point for taking a stand um, against Hitler. And um, was basically confronted with this problem from uh, one of the merchant, from someone he knew in the, who ran a merchant marine company, um, who was sort of who was observing that uh, when their ships were being shot down by um, submarines, by Nazi submarines, that um, that it tended to be that that the young, fit people tended to be dying. Uh, and the older, crustier sailors uh, <laughs> tended to be surviving, and and he j- and he found that just kind of curious because here you've got these young folks who are in the prime of their sort of their physical prime, you think might last better, um, and uh, you know this kind of made intuitive sense I think to to Kurt Hahn and maybe to maybe to many folks, many folks hearing this that you know the, the young folks just didn't know they could do it. They just hadn't built this the mental, emotional, internal resilience to know they could make it through something really hard, and so he started this school for training sailors, um, basically a resilience training school, uh, and called it Our Bound, uh, and and it it caught on very quick. The model caught on very quick and and really quickly transferred into the U.S. and then all over the world. There's Outward Bound uh, schools all over the world. And the, you know the basic philosophy is, um, you know, and perhaps those of you know those of you who've heard of Knowles, uh, that's an organization that that you know another really excellent outdoor education organization that's really focused on building wilderness skills. You know, uh, it's it's you know you want to become a really good technical mountaineer climber. Knowles is a good place to start. And this is Knowles N O L S. Yeah. The National Outdoor Leadership School. Yep. Um, our bound is a little bit more like we use the wilderness and wilderness tripping as a way to help people learn about themselves. Like not as important that you become a really technical paddler, a really technical climber, uh, more that we're using that challenging, you know, experience like Justice is talking about that putting people out of their comfort zone for personal growth. Um, and, and so that's really, and, and, and that's the model that makes it really um, transferable because you can, you can kind of do it anywhere. Hmm. I would also add that there's like in, in a, the U.S., I think there's nine or, or 11 Outward Bound schools. And our, the school that Dave and I have both worked at is Voyager Outward Bound School, which has uh, a base in Minnesota, the Twin Cities, and Texas. And that this R specifically is known for like our soft skills or like people skills, student management and and like communication. A lot heard more. several people say to me the hard skills are the harder skills. Yeah, being the soft skills, right? Yeah, totally. <laughs> and uh, but like many of the other schools, like Colorado or North, they might be doing things similar to Knowles, where they're like, yeah, this is about climbing a mountain right now, and, and not about climbing the mountains of your emotions. <laughs> Micro College is recorded in the broadcast studios of WDRT Viroqua, 91.9 FM, Driftless Community Radio, on Main Street in Viroqua, Wisconsin. Thanks to Jim and all the folks at WDRT for the support of Thoreau College and the Micro College Podcast. Great. So can you, you know, Justice, before we get too much farther, I, I wanted, um, you know, 
you, you know, because we have coming up pretty soon, you know, another of these winter expeditions, and and uh, you know, Dave, you've led winter ex- inter- expeditions with high school students and all kinds of different contexts as well. But maybe just based on your experience here with Thoreau College specifically, and re- last year and what's coming up, like what, give us a picture of what that's like in the most concrete kind of way. Yeah, I mean, the parts, the expedition that I got to be a part of, uh, for one, it has an extreme element, which is like the weather here. We are last year out in sub-zero temps for most of the time. Um, And when you're doing anything challenging as a group, that just kind of, if you survive it, (laughs) that like brings you together in many ways. And so I think that's a huge part of it, is like working together as a group to, uh, to, I mean, survive, but also, yeah, to come together and lean on each other um, and work towards a common goal and then also you have this powerful experience in the wintertime especially of this fire in the center. And that's sort of a space for you all to, to share around. And that's usually quite a bit of our curriculum there is like sharing stories about yourself, each other, listening, hearing each other. Um, yeah. Yeah. Do you want to add anything to that, Dave? I just, you know, what Justice just said about the fire in the center, you know, the thing that I really love about winter trips is – you 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 know we have kind of a myth a mythical understanding of uh not mythical like a a false understanding that what keeps us warm is our clothes mm-hmm. um and of course our clothes help us keep us warm but our clothes are not warm themselves um you know like all of the heat is in us and mm-hmm. uh the winter time is a really great teacher for remembering like oh i am responsible for keeping myself warm you know if i'm cold only thing you can do is move and uh you know putting more layers on might help but at a certain point it's it's about you and 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 that that fire that is there's the fire in the center that we're congregating around and telling stories around and cooking around but there's a fire at the center of every person too and like we are we're tending that and and um strengthening that and i i always find that coming back from winter camping trips i i, I find myself being like Psh, winter (laughs) it's a delight you know beforehand it feels kind of intimidating and afterwards it's like oh i I got the rest of the winter to play outside now you know it's it's not so intimidating anymore Um, yeah it's it's remarkable watching students both high school and and the college students you know look towards this winter expedition happening sometimes in high school it happens in the 11th grade and so students are starting off in ninth grade you know i've got an 11th grade daughter who's approaching this and in, in, also in january and it's been in her mind before she started high school i can guarantee you um <laughs> and there's there's fear there's self-doubt there's sometimes there's phases of anger <laughs> <laughs> um and and then after the experience it's it's really one of the most remarkable transformations i've i, I see in, in students that i work with and uh, yeah, how, how are students different after an experience like this, do you think? I mean, I think it's got to be the same thing that it's that, you know, it's the same. It's a common human experience, right, that we have for all sorts of things, you know, marriages, births, you know, divorces, uh, moves to a new country, you know, starting a new job, you know, coming out, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. There's mm-hmm. there's there's kind of infinite opportunities in the human experience to be afraid, to think you can't do something, to be angry about something, to have self-doubt. And it's just this, what's, what's wonderful about expeditions is they're, they're, they're big and, and powerful in a certain way. And they're also fairly small and contained. Hmm. And there it's a, it's an opportunity to practice meeting those kinds of, those you know being afraid of doing something and then doing it and being okay being afraid of doing something doing it being okay and building that building that habit that practice so you know it's a transferable skill so that somewhere else in life again and this is where so it's not because we're trying to we're trying to train people to be excellent winter campers you know um but so that you know you come to that next part of your life that you're afraid of or you don't think you can do and and maybe you don't listen to the self-doubt as much you're like you know i'll probably do it mm-hmm. and i'll be all right and yeah. you can start cha- like flipping that internal narrative about fear about challenge about 
uh, about doubt and, and, and actually start changing your, your sort of your internal story and it actually opens a lot of doors. And that's what's, I think that's what's really powerful. Um, I think that's what's really powerful about expeditions is it's, it's, a, it's a way to um, kind of un, unchain yourself. You know, we, we're, we're, our, we're our biggest, we hold ourselves back the most. Um, mm. Yeah. Good words. Do you want to add to that, Justice? No, I, that was beautifully said. Um, <laughs> can, you, can you share your own experience? Like, when, when did you first do a, do a winter expedition? Oh, yeah. Well, my first winter expedition was in Ely, Minnesota in probably 2020, beginning of 2020, right before uh, world chaos happened a little bit. And I did a dog sledding trip up with, it was like an invite to all the staff members to come and do what we offer up there in the wintertime. And that was the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life. <laughs> um, I was only, but I was only like, about a half a year into Outward Bound at that point. And so I'd only gone on an expedition or two. And so that that experience, um, well, I was kind of like in the first day or two, I was like, why the hell would I ever pay for this experience? <laughs> what have I done? My legs were chafed raw. I was just like freezing cold. My lips were, it was like, in a way, quite miserable. <clears throat> um, and I had a, it was a blessing to be working there with our bound or be doing this expedition with our bound instructors from all over the country. And I remember the the following day after this moment where I was like, oh, "What have I done?" I was only two days into ten at that point. <laughs> and the next day we went, we pushed these three hundred pound sleds with the dogs through a bog, like a half frozen bog, and everybody was like post holing, so your boots were just like going through the snow, and it was thigh deep, deep snow. And you were just like shoving these sleds that like the dogs were popping their legs through as well. And your boot would stick into a swamp and then fill with water. And so you'd be dumping out water out of your boot in like sub-zero temps. And it was, it was terrible. I got ran over by the sled because you'd push it and get going and then boom. And I just got planted like face first into the snow. But we just laughed so much. <laughs> and like these people I was with were just like laughing and laughing and almost and crying. And then like... and. I was like, okay, if you just like do it, then it's done. And we, what is it called? It's like type two fun where there's a few different funs they call it. Type one fun is like you're literally having fun. And you're like, I'm having fun right now. Type two is like you're doing something. And you're like, I am not having fun right now. And then you talk about it and it's like the most powerful experience and you're all remembering and laughing. And uh, that was what was happening. But because of like the practiced way that Outward Bound instructors that I was with, had been doing this for years they were all laughing during this experience that's supposed to be like in the future you laugh about it and so that just like changed my attitude and, and all morning I was miserable but then like as we just like went through the hardest part of kind of my life physically up until that point we, it was just like I started laughing too and it was okay and then we got to camp you know it, like that the day ended we just keep pushing forward and then we're sitting around a fire eating chicken soup and telling stories again. And it comes back to that, um, it's like that resiliency, that bank of resiliency that you have in there, you can just like go back on that in a moment. And so looking forward a couple years into where I'm, I'm teaching people like, hey, this is, now you gotta be happy doing this thing, <laughs> even though your face hurts. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't even like think about it anymore because that bank has been built up by in the desert or, or wherever the challenges have come for me in the past few years and yeah I can I can like find the things that are enjoyable in those hard moments and also know that I'll be fine <laughs> yeah it, it seems like and there, there are many aspects of our contemporary existence civilized modern world which are really hard right mm -hmm. people are anxious and they are depressed and they are like facing difficult financial situations and the relationship situations and just a lot of there is a difficulty on a certain level but I, my sense is sometimes that facing a physical challenge mm. like physical discomfort is, comes actually as a relief it's in yeah. contrast to the amorphous nature of some of the other challenges one might face yeah and it's I mean it's simple too in a way it's like we just have to get here today yeah. And we have to gather enough wood to stay warm, and it's it's very simple and, and relieving in some ways. And then the hard, the hard part, like you've said, is like 
you get angry with the person next to you, mm-hmm. and then you got to talk about it. That's probably where it really gets hard. <laughs> sure, that's a great segue. I mean, it seems like there, you know, there there are important personal and individual qualities were cultivated through these experiences. But it seems like a key part of these expeditions and the expedition kind of mindset of the group is the group experience and the, and the dynamics of forming a group and reforming a group. And so, can you talk a little bit about that, Dave? Like, what's the what is the the what is the cycle and that a, that a group on expedition goes through? Wow. Uh, I think every trip is different. Every group is different. Um, and, uh, you know, there are, there are some within the outdoor ed world, um, there are some sort of templates that we use sometimes to talk about it just sort of as like a, you know, share this template with a group and it helps give some language and just something to push back against. Sometimes, sometimes it fits, sometimes it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, a real general arc is probably a similar arc to like, you know, relationships. It, you know, of all sorts is there's a period of, um, you know, of I've either kind of falling in love with each other a little bit, or like, oh, this is great, this is so fun. I really like you. You're funny. We have similar interests. You know, um, or on the flip side, like. I don't know who you are. I don't, you don't make any sense to me. I don't like you. I don't want to get to know you. Um, and, but then as time goes on through shared experience and really through shared hardship, um, you know, two things start to happen. One, the people who you sort of easily fall in love with, you start to see their flaws and they start to drive you nuts. Or, or, or some aspects of them might start to drive you nuts. You start to realize, like, ah, oh, this person is really funny, but they're also, they also never shut up. <laughs> and, like, or whatever it is. And, and, they, and you know, you, you, start to, you start to see people's flaws. You start to see, um, you start to get on each other's nerves. And there starts to be friction, um, which then becomes fodder for all sorts of interpersonal growth, right? That ideally... Uh, if if the participants are game for facing, and if the instructors are 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 willing to help the group go there, it becomes a whole another layer of challenge and growth. Right, it's, it's starting to figure out how do we talk about how do we you know many of us don't learn how to have conflict very well. Um, so like how do how do we have productive conflict? How do we not avoid it, but not just blow each other up? You know, and and instead face it, work through it. Um, and move through it. Um, and then on the, on the flip side with the people that you maybe didn't get along with very much at first, what you'll often find, you know, and, and what I've, I guess I would almost say have, have always seen is through shared hardship, you start to really connect with them and see, you know, their strengths mm-hmm. and, their, and what's beautiful about them and what you co- really appreciate about them. And you le- start to lean on each other and, you, and you, there, there's a real shared humanity, sh- shared connection that starts to build. And so, um, you know, just say as a whole, these sort of experiences really create an opportunity. You know, it doesn't always happen, but really create an opportunity for people to connect a lot more deeply, either by connecting with people that they they wouldn't otherwise make connections with or by moving through that just sort of like fun superficial stage that a lot of relationships stay at you know a lot you know um you know i love this community here there's there's probably hundreds of people i know and like here most of them i don't know very deeply and Mm -hmm. have never had conflict with right um and so uh there's something really beautiful about being pushed through that part uh, of a of a relationship with people, and um, ideally, a trip is long enough that uh, you you're able to get to the other side of that with some of that, and, and you're then you're in a whole new phase. Mm-hmm. You're in a whole new level of trust with someone when you when you you don't just like each other. You've you've learned to trust each other, mm-hmm. right? And that's um, I I think a really great a really great antidote to anxiety and depression and loneliness um, is knowing there's people who have your back, you know, yeah. um, and who've seen and, and who have your back not just because you, you like the same music, 
Right. <laughs> but because they've seen you, they've, you know, you have been through something together. They've relied on, you've relied on each other. Yeah. And really where it counts in a situation. Yeah. Maybe like they, you've relied on them to tell you when something, like when you are acting in a way that is like, that's, there's like trusting somebody to like, you know, make you food or whatever. And then there's trusting somebody to like tell you when you are affecting them negatively. Yeah, to speak the truth. Yeah. And yeah. that's like, ooh, mm-hmm. that's yeah. trust. Mm-hmm. So what is the, the expedition leader's role in that process? I can speak to that a little bit. I think our, our, our from my experience, uh, the main portion of my job, when, it, when I'm thinking about an expedition as a job, because most sometimes it doesn't feel like that, but it is like that first part um, and mainly like the honeymoon phase yeah the honeymoon phase but I think I guess in, in the majority of I should probably f- just like do a quick mention of like the what really I love about Outward Bound is called the Intercept Program which is for kids families really um, who like are are struggling in some way in their relationships like trust has been broken um, they say behaviorally at risk or whatever but like it's really just like trust is not something's not going right and there's trust that is not there mm-hmm. and so these kids that come on it doesn't always feel like a honeymoon phase like what Dave is talking about like a few of them right. are like yeah we like sports and then they're like they're not we really don't good. like this kid because he doesn't like and so that's like kind of what we're wit- what we're seeing at the beginning there it's like not only do you, you can kind of just like distract yourself from the fact like this person that you are clicking with you can like don't even have to look at their flaws because you got plenty of others to look at and somebody that you already don't like mm-hmm. so that can sometimes happen in the beginning where there's like this forming stage of the group and um, there's like ways where you want to push your anger and stuff and you don't want to confront you don't want to have that trust with the person yet you don't want to like say the ways that they're bothering you so you mainly might focus in on one person or something and Mm -hmm. so as instructors in that beginning point it's wanting to allow the group to form on its own but also kind of manicuring it in a way and helping it like Hold, hold, be a person to hold them accountable um, and ask them that they step into who you can s- already see they can be because pretty quickly in that raw environment you see like okay you, you like are you have a good heart or whatever you, you're there you want to be somebody who's who's helpful to others and, and cares about others and so you can like ask them to step into that and I think that's probably where it's the most exhausting is the beginning of the trip because at towards the end usually they are holding themselves accountable and mm-hmm. they're a group that's capable of expressing giving feedback to each other and generally like working as a team um, but in the beginning it's kind of like you are there holding that space of like this is this is the group culture that I'm trying to create and making sure people are staying within those bounds mm-hmm. I guess so, do you have anything to add to that? You know, the main thing I would just add is, you know, every instructor has their own skill sets and their own ways of of doing that. Um, but I would, in my experience, like the the big big picture that you're that you're that I try to hold is um, is is like is is trust is trust that it's going to be a good experience and just kind of holding that right because a lot of participants might not have that at all in their minds they might be freaking out they might be terrified they might think this is you know justice was thinking on that winter trip like what am i doing (laughs) you know um and so um you know why do we have to talk about this stuff why do you know do we really have to confront each other about things or do i really have to um you know, work through this thing, you know, do I, do I, why can't I just ignore this person? You know, there's just all the, all the things that keep people as comfortable as they can be being the person who just really is like, you know what? There's more, like, I guess this is what, how, how I think about it for each student, for each participant, I think there's more in you than, you know, uh, which is just true. I think is a universal truth of human <laughs> truth. Yeah. Um, and uh, 
and this is going to be good you know and 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 carrying that idea through all the hardships so that there there's there's you know and then there's just a million different things that are happening within that but you're helping you're helping a group stay grounded in like this is going to work this is going to be positive you know there's a, there's a there's a point to this there's a reason to this particularly for you know something like this course is just is talking about 30 day courses you know it's a long time and it's a long time for kids to be away from home it's just a long time um particularly if it's not something that you're you think you're interested in Thoreau College is a leader in an emergent movement dedicated to the renewal and revitalization of higher education through the creation of new, humanly scaled institutions with holistic curricula known as micro-colleges. Thoreau College, higher education for the whole human being. Yeah, an another kind of um, dynamic that I've seen you build into your programs, Dave, and uh, in into your expeditions, and we really have really built it into Thoreau College programs writ large, is, is a movement from structure to freedom or from like a led guided structured uh, sort of instructor uh, led experience to a participant led experience. You want to talk about that a little bit? Where does that come from and how does that look on, on trail? Yeah, that's, that's uh, I, at this point, I think that's crucial. Um, I don't think I would have, I didn't think that or didn't know that when I first started leading trips. Um, you know what was interesting in in the end of the years of just before I started working for Outward Bound, I was I was working for another organization called Widgewagen and um, leading leading pretty long trips there and and coming up we didn't really have a set curriculum there in any way, um, but but wanting but realizing oh these kids who I have on this trip like next year they're going to be leading trips you know. Um, and so I, I created in my last couple of years leading trips. I sort of, along with some of my friends, we would talk and share ideas, kind of created my own progression for how to have this, have this, this, the kids lead the trip. And it was just super fun. It was just a blast. It was wild. It was wildly successful. You know, um, it, you know, the, the kids just were, were so much more invested not that they weren't invested already, but it's just a whole another level, you know, when, you know, this kid's leading, you know, I can remember we're, we're doing this portage that goes down a cliff, like a hundred foot cliff with just these ropes attached to a carabiner, you know, it's this whole, you gotta figure it out. Like, how are we gonna get all our stuff down? And this, this kid uh, was leading at that point and you know, he was leading for two days in a row at that point. And he looks at me and goes, you're not going to let me lead this, are you? And I said, yeah, <laughs> of course. <laughs> you know, like, I'm here. I got your back. But, but uh, and just, you know, seeing what happens when people are not just, when, when, when young people have that opportunity to step up mm. um, is really powerful. And then, and then I started working out with Bound, and I was like, oh, my God, there's a whole organization that structures their entire trips already this way and has so much institutional knowledge and so much there. I learned a lot from Outward Bound. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it's really just this basic idea that um, we start, you know, we start as instructors in a place where we're kind of really defining a lot of what's going to happen, how it's going to happen, when it's going to happen. We're doing a lot of teaching. We're trying to build up the, the physical skill set in the group to be successful on the trip. And the interpersonal skill set, the sort of the, what Justice was talking about with the tone setting of this is how we're going to be treating each other. Are these, some, these are some ground rules for how we're going to be communicating or operating together. Um, and then as, you know, and again, in every trip is different and every instructor is different. But as a trip goes on, you're, you're stepping more and more back as an instructor um, and giving more and more space for the group to step into, you know, navigating camp setup you know, all the logistics of a trip. Um, and then really, ideally, all of the interpersonal, you know, where if, if things, if the group is really able to go there and you're able to step back as, a, as an instructor, really, then they're the ones who are addressing conflicts together and who are making decisions together and who are, you know, holding each other accountable and doing all those more tricky, complicated things. Um, and... Uh, but but this this is why, as Justice pointed out, the beginning is really is really intense as an instructor and and quite really intense as a participant too, mm -hmm. because you're 
you're you're doing so much teaching you're trying you're front loading so much information so that there's time for them to take that on and and sort of live that out themselves yeah i would i would add that it's like of the youth initiative high school here in broke they have the slogan where freedom meets responsibility and that's yeah i think that's kind of what all these structures are based on but maybe like with responsibility comes freedom or something because it's yeah. very much so like these are what we expect of you and beginning it's like no redo that not do it again do it again do it again then you see they have it and you like it's very controlled it's a very controlled environment which is really nice mm-hmm. um, yeah the, the, the Waldorf high school model you know and really the Waldorf education in general you know the, the picture right at the core of it is a movement from form to freedom, right? Mm-hmm. The students begin in a position in in a situation that has been planned by wise and thoughtful people, um, and there it is transitioned gradually and appropriately to a position where they're adults, right? And they're able to 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 act and structure and form their own lives, and that really is the goal of the education. And I would say also the educate the goal of Thoreau College and these programs that we do. Mm. I mean, just one more thing I would add to that about this freedom and responsibility mix is, yeah, I mean that really is the most. Um, simple way to put it. I mean, if you look around at our world today and look at a lot of the the challenges that we face or a lot of the people who are behaving pretty irresponsibly, right? There's there's a lot of, like, there's a general desire, it seems, at least in American culture, I really don't know about other cultures, uh, to want a lot of freedom and not very much responsibility, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like uh, that's what I think that's like the allure and dream of being rich is like I can do whatever I want, you know, and uh, and we see a lot of, you know, wealthy and powerful people not being very responsible, right? Um, and we see a lot of all kinds of people not being very responsible, but that really like uh, to, to operate healthily as just a person, to really, to, to really, you know, be successful in your own life, but also to be a successful, um, or to be a, a you know, a, a really, um, a positive citizen, you know, to someone who's, who's, uh, helping sort of uphold and, and build their culture in a positive way. You've really got to balance those two things. And that's really what is at the core of this kind of curriculum also is mm-hmm. it's, it's that it's the connecting that, if you want to have freedom over this experience, you've got to you've got to live up to the responsibility, um, yeah. and and that and that sort of uh, that's a crucial dance that that is a skill set where you know hopefully young adults you know teenagers young adults are learning, but hopefully all of us are learning. Yeah, so we're we're coming up towards the end of our hour, and I didn't want to uh, to go out out of our time without talking about the solo component of our curriculum. Mm. <laughs> so, um, Dave, you've constructed over the course of the last several years a a, a series of solo experiences for our Thoreau College students um, alongside the group expeditions. Can you talk a little bit about that? Where does that idea come from? I know it has some roots also in Outward Bound, and 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 how has it played out here? And what what do you think? What does that add to to a journey through a period of a semester or a year? Absolutely. Well, I think you know the the idea of a solo uh, experience, you know, goes back probably as old as people, you know, and and, and in traditions all over the world, and, and with all di- with different forms and um, a vision quest and uh, yeah. absolutely, yeah, all you know. Um, in the form that we that we are doing that here, um, yeah, that really the first time I had that kind of experience was on that Southwest Field Studies program in college. We had um, I think maybe four different solo, solos. You know, uh, the longest one I think was two nights. You know, two and a half days, two nights, um, and then and and for me it was just. It was such an intense group experience. You know, there was there was so much going on interpersonally between us participants as a group, but then there was just so much we were learning about the places we were and you know, the people we were meeting. There was just there was so much there. It was just it was a really kind of crucial just like processing experience. Just like, all right, you know, some just time with a lot less input, right? And and to just um, check in with myself and see how am I doing? Where am I at? You know, how am I, you know, um, you know, I had some really important personal revelations that have 
proved durable to this day that I still carry with me on those on, on those solos, you know, about how I was carrying myself as a person, being like, oh, I, I, I actually, there's something I really want to change here. Um, you know, but often when our lives are so busy and so full, we don't have the mental space, we don't have the energy, we don't have the quiet mm-hmm. to have those kinds of check-ins with ourselves or those kinds of revelations or to process or to sort of more fully process our experience. So, um, you know, I would say that's that's really the the main impetus between behind the solo role at, at Thoreau College is is it's it's really busy. You know, the, I think everyone's experience who's participated in Thoreau College is like, yeah, there's a lot going on here, um, and so to have some of that some of that quiet space, um, and then I would just add on to that that so few people, you know myself included you know it's not true today but but early in my younger years it was true so few people have have been alone outside mm-hmm. and it's really it's it's just remarkably delightful and beautiful and um and you know you're not you know you can be on an outward bound course for a month or you could be on a throw college expedition for a week or a couple weeks or whatever and and have very few experiences of really being present with where you are because you're uh, you're in a conversation, you're thinking about what's ahead, you're trying to figure out where you are on the map, you're cooking dinner, you're you know you're doing stuff, mm-hmm. and to 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 just be for a while, and notice a leaf over there, and see the sun slowly making its way across the sky and waking up in the middle of the night and noticing where the, the position of the stars have changed and you know just all these things that really like settle you into a place um i found when i give myself i i rarely am able to give myself or maybe have never given myself a, a overnight solo uh i do lots of afternoons any chance i can get go mm-hmm. go into the woods um by myself and those are those are the, some of the most ground. It's the most grounding experiences I can give for myself within myself and and for my and for where I am, for being present with where I am. So practically, these these Thoreau College uh, overnight solos that you've designed, they're they're you know under a tarp, right? It's not in a tent, in different sort of seasons. Can you just just give us a real concrete description of of the of the sequence? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so I, I think uh, it, a crucial part is yeah they're they're with tarps, not tents, um, and you know their their students are in a similar place, like you know at a similar property, um, often seeing you know we're walking and dropping different people off at different places, so so you're seeing where other people are, um, you're you know you're close enough that if you really needed help, you you'd be able to hear each other, and there's sort of a system for making sh- you know. Mm-hmm making sure people are okay, but you're also not right on top of each other. You've got, you've got plenty of your own space. And so, um, so there's some sort of logistical pieces there to, to help people feel safe and be safe if something were to happen. Um, but then it, you know, and, but then it's really, you know, you, you're dropped off, you've got a little bit of food, um, and you've got a tarp, you've got the clothes you've brought, um, and then it's really kind of just settling in and making yourself a little bit of a home, building yourself a shelter, um, you know, gathering some firewood if you're going to be having a fire, uh, you know, and kind of settling into that quiet space. And and sometimes people have asked why not why not tents? And um, and if, if any of you have spent a lot of time in a tent, you know, it, being in a tent is wonderful. I like it, but it's not outside. <laughs> and uh, and you know, I think. M- people would have a much different, a much less connecting experience if they're sitting inside of a tent than if they're, you're sitting under a tarp where you can still see the world around you. Um, and uh, I can say psychologically, you know, having kind of talked to students about this, guided them through it, it is, it is very psychologically significant. Then some, some people are really excited about it. Some people are like ner- nervous about it, but like it, it's a different experience fundamentally than having a tent. It is. I, I mean, I, I, I I personally love a tarp over a tent. Um, yeah, there's a little more weather that can get, can get in, uh, but you can set up a great tarp. 
know? <laughs> there's a lot of competition too about people about how nice their setup was. <laughs> Absolutely, and the, yeah, there's a craftsmanship to it. I mean, that's another yeah. piece that's you know is you're you're building you're you're there's a there's a way in which on a solo you're creating a little temple for yourself, right? You're creating a little sacred space in your busy life. And part of that is just the space, but part of that is what's the care you're putting into are you are you are you making a space for yourself that is going to facilitate having a good experience or or are you in the habit of being so lazy that you won't even do that and then you're just gonna be uncomfortable the whole time and all you're feeling is discomfort mm-hmm. <laughs> right which is hopefully you can be aware of that and realize like oh gosh all right next time I'm right. gonna you know I'm gonna do something a little different and yeah, so that's the piece of it. You know, it's been we've done this. You know, three years, um, three falls, and there's a, a sequence, right? Starting in usually really relatively warm weather in September, October, and then something in November when the weather could be colder usually, but sometimes rainy. You know, often that's a really challenging one. And then moving up towards a towards a 48 hour experience in December. So generally in winter weather. Mm-hmm. So again, it's moving towards that, that, that winter challenge that kind of keeping the fire going is, is a really essential thing. I really like what you're saying there, Dave. And I think that like the solo experience, especially when you're, it, it comes, I mean, it's powerful on your own as well, if you're just doing it in your own and choosing to go out, but also when you're in a group that's formed in the middle of a, of a process, whatever expedition semester, whatever it is, it's like a moment where your own self-efficacy is like really shown and it's kind of like brings out a certain amount of integrity in yourself of like what yeah maybe true colors are shown or like where are you um in your process of of working on skills whatever they may be like a, a lot of stuff can come up out there it's like a great time for reflection both like in the very practical sense that we've talked about of like looking at your tarp as it the snow sags onto your face or like <laughs> wow look, getting to look at yourself and be like how did I interact with these people and, and what was the result mm-hmm. so that I found that um, especially the longer courses that I've done like the 50 day long ones where you are really getting that time we do two solos on those and they like those are the most powerful moments where they for one just get a break from it all like you were talking about of like there's there's the dis- the break from the distractions of like tw- dopamine in your pocket every 10 seconds of this world and then you go out in an expedition and that's a break in itself but then the solo is like a break within the break yeah. from all distractions and so you're just there with yourself in the most raw way mm-hmm. that yeah. I've ever been you know it's, it's pretty powerful to be able to just like what comes up in your mind there so a couple times you know the we've done these 20 the 48 hour December solos some of the most profound reflections I've ever heard students made have come out of those and you hear December in Wisconsin you know the days are short the nights are long fire is really important and just the ability to to, to start in one day watch the sun go down and watch the whole following day mm-hmm. you know cross its whole path and yeah the really it's you have a sense of the passage of time in a way that's that's kind of rare in our world today mm-hmm. I would also say, you know, probably for for many folks listening, if you're, you're to say like, hey, would you, how, how comfortable would you be going, you know, for 48 hours uh, on, by yourself under a tarp in the middle of winter? You know, there's probably not that many people who would say like, oh, yeah, that, that'd be super easy for me right now. But like, you know, like a lot of a lot of components of the curriculum at Thoreau College and, you know, at at what we do at Our Bound and what we do on the expeditions here, um, is it's it's all about progressions right is mm-hmm. is giving yourself it's an iterative process you give yourself opportunities to try something get better at it reflect see what you could do different try again get better at it reflect you know mm-hmm. that that process and um so the solos are the same way you know you're it's it's a progression and you're working towards something that maybe feels out of reach and that's another you know that's another just sort of basic life skill set that you know as as a carpenter, I think about this all the time. You know, you say, "How do you build a house?" Well, you show up every day and you do a few things, and eventually it becomes a house. You know, like you can't, <laughs> you can't, you know, big things don't happen in a step. You right. know, there are many steps. There's many, there's many progressions. You know, and being able to trust a process, hold a, hold a long term picture in your mind, and and keep showing up and learning and and doing something again and again and again. Um, 
you know, is is a is just is just a sort of a basic keystone of all sort of all sorts of forms of success, and um, that's another one of the things, one of the elements of that that I think this program here at Thoreau College gives people an opportunity to do. Yeah. Amen. That's a great place to end, I think. Um, thank you so much. You're a couple of my favorite people in the world. Thank you for coming in and uh, and to keep up doing the good work that you're doing. Yeah, we appreciate you. Thanks for having. Yeah, it's been an honor. Thank you. All right. <laughs>